And Are I, you out of your mind? Here's the debate. You're upset. They're saying you believe you. This is it? This is I thought that. Gentlemen, we're live. Fantastic. Folks, today we have a special guest for you. It's Diamond Dallas Page, the one and only Diamond Dallas Page. I don't know how many championships you've got, how many times you were. <laughs> Let me just read off a few of them so folks know uh, what you did. O- over a decade in WCW, three-time WCW World Heavyweight Champion, two-time WCW United S- uh, States Heavyweight Champion, four-time WCW World Tag Team Champion, one-time WCW World Television Champion, Fourth WCW Triple Crown Champion. This list goes on. You, uh, uh, you uh, and the only U.S. Heavyweight Champion to defend the title on a pay-per-view main event, defeating Bret Hart at uh, the 1998 World War Three. You have a new program called the DDPY, which some would call yoga, but you created it yourself. And you said something very interesting when we just got started. You said when you guys started wrestling, you know, the Hulk was six seven. And you were six four, and you're still six four, and he's now six three. So no, he's six like, four, like probably that. about the same height. Yeah, right, about we'll, the same. Yeah, we'll talk, eye to eye. We'll talk <laughs> about we'll talk about how you did that, how you recreated yeah. the soul identity. But pretty excited about this interview, man. Great to have you on. Uh, pleasure to be here, bro. Pleasure to be here. We've had some certified badasses on the show. We had Francis Nagano, yeah. the UFC heavyweight champion of the world. But I mean. DDP, certified badass in the house. <laughs> you, and you know what it but is. But I'm also an actor. You know, he's he's a real badass. <laughs> and, you know, I, dude, I can help hang my own. But at 66, I'm all about peace and love, baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the old Bobby Bear song, You're the Winner. As far as I'm concerned, you win. You know, like, <laughs> I'm not trying to fight by the way, anymore. By the way, for, we, we, for the folks who are still in their 40s or 50s, and they were convinced wrestling was real. He just ruined it for you. <laughs> hey, I always tell people it's not fake. It's predetermined. Yeah, a lot of air quotes going on. It's DDP. a show. It's a show. Yeah, I got to tell you, this is a great story. I was I was uh, being interviewed because we did uh, one of the favorite wrestling movies out there is Ready to Rumble, and you know we're doing the whole big you know gambit, the promoting it and everything, and everybody's being so nice because wrestling's just white hot, you know, in the 90s. And that's when it came out. And there's this one guy who's interviewing me. And I can tell he just doesn't want to be there. And so as we get to the end of the interview, I said, you know, can I ask you a question, man? He goes, sure. I said, you don't appreciate what we do, do you? He said, honestly? I said, I asked you a question. Yeah, honestly. He goes, not really. I said, okay, so... You don't like the whole showmanship of it or whatever. Yeah, well, it's fake and blah, blah, blah. I go, let me ask you a question. I said, are, are, are you like you guys, you're in New York City. Are you, are you a guy who likes to go to plays? Oh, absolutely. I love, mm. I love Broadway. I said, what's your favorite uh, Broadway play? And he said, hands down, Phantom of the Opera. And I looked around and I said, bro, I don't want to spoil this for you. But he doesn't really get burnt with oil, <laughs> you know. I said, an act. <laughs> you know, and the crew just burst out laughing, right? And uh, yeah, I, I just said to him, I said, you know, every night I'm going out there with a different opponent because mm-hmm. it's a dance. It's a very physical, brutal dance, and people think it's, it only happens on Monday and Friday in a pay per view. No, it happens twenty four to twenty seven nights a month 
You get in a car, you drive 100, 200, 300 miles to the next town or fly from L.A. to Kansas City and drive 100, 200, 300 miles. The wear and tear on your body Mm -hmm. is off the chain. And people can say whatever they want about professional wrestling. One thing remains that everyone understands. You can't fake gravity. (laughs) You know, gravity will... (laughs) It'll f you up. I mean, when you said you, you, your surgery. What you, on your back? What did you talk about? You had something going with your back. I, I ne- this is a thing. Now we talked about Hulk a second yeah. ago. From from what I understand, Hulk had eight back surgeries because once you start one, they're coming. Mm. I ruptured my L. I didn't start wrestling until I was thirty five. My career took off when I was forty. That was in 96. That's unheard of, by the way. Unheard of. Started when you were 35. 35. And, most yeah. professional careers are ending at that point. Done. You're just getting this thing started, baby. And it, it, it was really hard because I came from a manager in a color, color, com, a color commentator spot. And I was running nightclubs. So for me to make that you know, break, because one day they came up to me. I'm at WCW at the time. I'm managing Scott Hall, who I called the Diamond Stud at the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm managing the Freebirds. And Magnum TA, who is Dusty Rhodes' right hand, walks up to me and he says, listen, D, we're still going to let you do the color commentating, but we can't let you do the, you know, the, the managing anymore. I go, why? I mean, dude, what, what did I do wrong? I go, I'll fix it. He goes, honestly, you can't. I go, what do you mean I can't? He goes, because look at you. The hair. I had long, unbelievable, gorgeous hair. Yeah. Yeah, friggin Locks of golden locks, hair. Locks, golden hair. But, you know, the clothes, the bling, the wraps. I had these girls called the Diamond Dolls. Yeah. And they were stripper <laughs> hot. It was like smoking. I know the type, DDP. Yes, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and the bottom line is, he's like the bling, the wrap, the girls. Nobody, everybody wants to be you. You're taking too we much. We need you in the ring, bro. Is that well, what he was getting at? Well, no, he was saying, you, basically, I'm too over the top for professional <laughs> wrestling. How is that possible as a manager? But what he said when he walked away, he said, what we should have tried to do is put you in a pair of tights and boots and see if you can do this. Now, I had seven months left of my contract. At that point, I was like, you know. I never got in this business because I tried it when I was 23. I had three matches, hurt my knee. It, was, it, it didn't work out for me. I wasn't ready for it then anyway. Starting at 35 was really hard because I can't tell you how many times my body hit that mat when I first got down that cold gym that's freaking, you know, seven different mm-hmm. rings in it and it's freezing in there. I can't tell you how many times my body hit that mat and I thought, man. This fake shit hurts like hell, <laughs> you, you know? So, you know, it's just the, when I finally got to, you know, actually get there and then find out, okay, now you can't do it. Well, I had seven months left to my contract. So I said, the hell, I'm going down the power plant. I'm going to learn how to wrestle. Now, the guys I was managing, the Freebirds, they're two of the greatest ever. Hall of Famers, Jimmy Jam Garvin, Michael P.S. Hayes. They looked at each other. And literally fell down laughing at me. Because by the time you try to figure it out, because it's not like anything you've ever done. If you're in a fight, you're in a fight. 
you're in a fight, fight with a mixed martial artist, you're in trouble because those cats know all different types from jujitsu to wrestling to boxing to striking, everything. Like, they're going to get you on every different angle. But at least you got your own. You got two fists. You got something to go with. In professional wrestling, it's a dance. And just falling flat on your back, there's nothing normal about that. So you got to reprogram your mind to understand how to fall. Because if you don't take as much of it to fall from your shoulders to your hips, you know, you can really hurt yourself. So the bottom line is you think that learning those moves in the beginning, it's going to be the hardest thing you've ever done. And now you're out there in front of 500, 5,000. I've been in front of 101,000 people. That's and once you realize now you're in front of those people, now, how do you make them care? And think about this. When they know that you know, and you know that they know that you and your partner both know who's going to win before you walk out there. How do you make them care? You build real-life characters. And, and I, I've often said this in my speaking. And when Paige Joseph Falkenberg, because that was my real name mm-hmm. before I changed it. And I knew that name was never going to draw any money in a world of professional wrestling. When Paige Joseph Falkenberg stopped trying to be this over-the-top wrestling persona, Diamond Dallas Page, and Diamond Dallas Page started thinking on the characteristics of Paige Joseph Falkenberg. Work ethic, belief in oneself, discipline. Man, my career took off like a rocket. Because I was bringing my own self to the character. And that's what every single actor does, you know, and creates backstory. So now that became all mine. I am the oldest rookie ever. <laughs> Inside my Hall of Fame ring, it says work ethic equals dreams. Explanation I point. Love DDP. I love that. I love that. What a freaking story you just told. By the way. Uh, in 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 a match, you're saying all of it is you know you kind of know who's going to win before. Has there ever been a time where in the middle of it, it changed where you guys as the wrestlers made a decision? Now you know what yes. you're going to win this one. Now, but not like that though. Eddie Guerrero was one of the greatest wrestlers ever. He could do anything, and we were having a match at Halloween Havoc, and this was really got me to a place where Eddie was. The good guy when we started, mm-hmm. I was the bad guy, but my diamond cutter finishing maneuver, because it came out of nowhere. People want to be surprised. They want to think they know, no, no, no. Oh, they want to be surprised. And again, ours is like ballet meets Broadway meets live acting. And Eddie, he would come off that top rope to you on the floor when nobody did that. Now a lot of guys do it. I did it. You know, but at that time, he was one of the only guys who was doing it. And he would be, he'd jump off that top deal, which was probably about 12 feet. So he's another 20 feet in the air and he came down. And how he landed, and this happened to me too at times, when you tear like a, in between your ribs, white mm-hmm. muscle, it's you can't breathe. It hurts to breathe. And Eddie never sold it. In other words, he never told me he hurt himself. He kept going. He kept going. And we're getting near the end of the match. And I go to pick him up. He goes, Diamond Cutter. I go, no, Eddie. He goes, Diamond Cutter. Diamond Cutter. He was uh, okay. <laughs> Hit him with Diamond Cutter and pinned him. It was a huge win for me, October of 1990, uh, wow. 1996. 1997, 
I'd be the wrestler of the year. Well, you were supposed to lose that match, and he was that, that injured. He's like, DDP me now. Yes, just just hit me, hit me with the freaking. And how quickly did it register? Oh shit, I'm about to win this match. Uh, I was like, you know, I hope I don't get in trouble. <laughs> you know? And did you? What happened? Because no. <clears throat> Eddie was like, he came out like he was really. He would jump off the top rope and he would take his arm, his leg as far out, and then yeah. he'd bring his knees into his chest and he'd spring out. He calls it called it a frog splash. He wasn't doing that. And I thought he just should have rolled me up and just, like, you know, made something really simple to get the win. But he didn't do it. He went diamond cutter. I went, okay. It was a huge win wow. for me October at that 97. time. Wow. So, so uh, 96. 96. So let me ask you. So you know how uh, uh, the game of football, right? Okay, the quarterback's up there. Coach is calling the play. Sometimes the player's like, no, nah, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And the coach loses their mind. Right, You're going to be doing right. that. What are you doing? He says, no, nah, right. I'm going to throw this over here. Can't say nothing about it. And then there's that beef between the player and the coach. Sure. When that happens there, who's calling who? Is Vince calling saying, what, what was that well, all about? How, how does that process go? That, that was actually Eric Bischoff who was in charge at that point because we, we were kicking their ass. Well, we were going back and forth in 96, 97, 98. We kicked WWE's ass. They almost went out of business. NWO was the hottest thing. Mm-hmm. It was must-see TV. This mm-hmm. is how crazy it was. The top, you know, back then it wasn't as many channels as now, but there's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. So on cable television, we would be, or, or WWF would be, number one in all of cable. And then we would be, or WWF would be, number two, number three, wow. and sometimes number four. We had the top four shows on all of cable. And it was two different shows. We did Nitro and uh, Thunder. They did Raw and SmackDown. It was crazy. And the ratings originally, Vince was doing like a 2.9 to a 3.2. That would be unbelievable today. But the universe has changed. Mm-hmm. We got those numbers up. I thought they're going to split one. You know, what do you get? One five and a, you know, you know, one eight or whatever. No, no. More people watched. More people watched. And it's kind of like the Boston Red Sox and the Yankees. Those two teams hate each other. And not not so much the teams, but the but the fans. Fan base. And if the if all of a sudden there was no more Red Sox, all those baseball fans who watch the Red Sox would start watching soccer or something. They wouldn't watch the Yankees, Yankees yeah. you know, because they hate them so. I don't understand that, but I my buddies, I grew up in Jersey. They you know like made a plane crash. Why would you say that? Like they're that fanatical about it. So it, that's what it was in WCW. So by the way, were you, were you at that time like? But but was it did the world also say that you're ahead of them? Like that the world because I know you guys had Hulk Hogan, you had you know Eric Bischoff, you had Kevin Nash, you had Scott Hall, you had Randy Savage, you had Sting, you had you had so many guys. Scott Steiner, I mean shit, some of these names: Bagwell, Norton. There was some legit lineup of what you guys had. Yeah. What were you ahead? Were you like the Yankees at the time, or were you the Red Sox underdog? We were. We were the redheaded stepchild for the longest time. And then Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. One day they were on their TV, and the next day Scott Hall just showed up on ours. There was only five people who knew he's going to walk through the crowd, walk through, grab a microphone in the middle of a match. People were like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> and then he said, he's, I, we're gonna, we want, you, we're gonna bring our best three. You bring your best three. And he puts out this challenge. It, we call it a shoot. You know, like 
this is this is not a work or it's not a, not storyline. It was, but nobody knew. But the smallest handful, you know, really tough to do during the internet, but you can still do it. What you don't know if it's real or not. And when Kevin Nash showed up, he grabbed Eric Bischoff, and this had never been done. Vince McMahon would go on to have matches and get thrown through stuff and slammed through stuff, mm-hmm. but it had never happened before Eric Bischoff. Kevin Nash grabbed him at six foot ten, picked him up over his head, and threw him through the stage. Now it's set up to break, but he drops like ten feet through a broken stage down to the ground, and that's how they go off the show. So now people are they they bought it. Is Vince because these guys were just on TV and they were Razor Ramon and Diesel. When those guys came on. They never said their names. It was, you know who we are. Mm. So now it didn't, they didn't have to call them something else. And their names were cool. Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, Hall and Nash. They became the outsiders. It changed the business. It made it what Thursdays used to be when Seinfeld was on and stuff, must-see TV. And guys would be picking up the phone, oh, my God, no, switch over, switch over to WWF. No, switch over to WCW. Mm. And... Through this, because it was so hot, both of those guys were best friends of mine. We started together. I created Scott Hall's look when he came in as a diamond stud, and he didn't, he had the blonde hair and a big walrus mustache, and he completely changed his look, and he wanted to help me back, you know? And Kevin Nash, we were tag team partners, and he wanted to quit a bunch of times because they were screwing him around so bad that I would be like, don't let them beat you, big man. You're going to be one of the biggest names of all time. And he is. But even in his Hall of Fame speech, he thanked me because I got, I got my, my my home on the beach, you know, because of Dally kept me in this. You know, keeping that positive. Don't you know this? You know this. You don't quit. You keep, if you believe in it, if you're passionate about it, you keep moving towards it, and it will happen. And it may not happen exactly when you want it to happen, but it'll happen. You know, it's crazy. I, I uh, uh, One of our guys, I, I was reading the text to you earlier, he texts me from Brazil, Aaron, and he says he knows, obviously, you're going to be on the show today. He says, have an awesome show today, Patrick. What, WW, what DDP did for Jake uh, uh, the snake was nothing short of amazing. I said, which part? He says he brought Jake the snake back from a massive alcohol, alcohol addiction, rehabbed his body, and helped him be able to be inducted into WWE Hall of Fame. He has done that for many athletes. This is a very common thread with the story of what you've done for these guys. <clears throat> what, 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 have, what has been your approach? And, you know, maybe the better question would be, in every sport, there is a guy that plays that role, older brother, like somebody that's going to give the call and say, you, you know, let me talk to you. Let's kind of help you get through this challenging time. What is the what is the optics of what this looks like, meaning party and temptation? What's around me? What's the life look like? I remember I went to Ric Flair's place in Atlanta. I think, <laughs> he was in Atlanta. I interviewed Ric Flair, and he told me the stories. Oh and I'm my God, sitting there man. with Rick, and his girl is sitting over there, you know. <laughs> and, 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 and we're going back and forth. I'm like, oh. half the stories he's telling me, it, it doesn't make any sense. That's when the documentary had come out and the whole story right. with his son, 24 years oh, old. He's crying. It's emotional, oh. all of this stuff. But tell me what the world looks like that we don't see. We see this. But we don't see behind the scenes the party. What does that life look like? Well, but first, let me tell you, Ric Flair, 
like there was nobody like him. There's nobody to me. He's one. Of, he's the greatest of all time because he had the 30 year run of being on top. He's still on top at 73. You know, everybody loves him. Uh, but his stories, when he's telling you how wild and crazy they are, they're watered down because you don't want. They're, they're, you can take those as crazy stories, as they are. They're, they're way crazier. You know, PG thirteen version. Oh of what yeah, we get. yeah, yeah. His is like the quadruple X. Uh, you know, the nature <laughs> is his own animal. I love him to death. Uh, we didn't. We we. In, Early in my career, because I'm coming up at the 35, 37, he doesn't believe in me. He likes me, but he doesn't believe me, so he's not going to... We end up having a little bit of conflict. And then later, after, you know, it's all gone, because we're all family. We all love each other when it's all said and done. Very few guys have the heat that lasts forever. Really? Yeah. So there's a brotherly love throughout it's, all it's, of wrestling. We're, we're, we're a total dysfunctional family that, <laughs> like... We can do shit back and forth with each other, but you don't get to do it. God, you know? I love that. And, and me and Nate, I saw him. Uh, they dropped all the balloons for WWF. It was a big thing, WWE, you know, for he's retiring. And I thought, man, I've always loved this guy as Ric Flair. I, you know, I wanted to have, be tight with Rick, but it just didn't happen. So I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and fix this. So we were both at a signing in New York. And... Everybody, it was, he's Ric Flair, so, you know, he just got retired. For, so everybody swarms him, and I wait till everybody was done. And he's like, hey, Diamond, how you doing? I go, good, Rick. I go, can I talk to you for a sec? He goes, absolutely. I said, you know, Rick, I go, I know me and you have had heat, you know, over the years. And he's like, oh, come on, D, don't, don't worry about that. I go, Rick, I'm not worried about it. I want to fix it. I know I've said some shit. I know you've said some shit. I said, dude, I go, I don't want Ric Flair to not be one of my boys. I don't want me to feel that way. I said, I would love to start all over again. And I put up my hand and saw, I'm Diamond Dallas Page. And he popped and he hugged me. And he kissed me on mm-hmm. the forehead. God bless your brother. And since then, I've had such an unbelievable relationship. I love Ric Flair. Uh, when I went in the Hall of Fame uh, that night before I was leaving, he yelled to me. He was at the bar. I come over. He goes, D, come on, sit down, have a drink, have a drink. So have a drink with him. And he says, so what time's your flight tomorrow? I said, 7.30. He's like, Jesus, who booked that? I go, not me. And I can't change the flight. He goes, you still in Atlanta? I said, yeah, I'm still in Atlanta. He goes, he goes all right. He goes, tomorrow, you and your old lady, man, go. I got the limousine, I got the Learjet, I got the whole deal. He goes, you're coming back to Atlanta with me. I go, Rick, that is so cool. But, bro, I don't, I've got so many bags. I'm like the Griswolds. You know? <laughs> and he's like, I don't want to hear that shit. Get down there. There's a FedEx right over there. He goes, send your bags home. I'll meet you down here. Don't call me before 12. We're leaving at 2. <laughs> and we went, we, uh, we he flew us back in the Learjet. He found out it was my birthday. Took us out to dinner. Said, I mean, Ric Flair, I mean, I, I love him to death. And I'm telling you, his stories, they're watered down. You know, because <laughs> he is just pure energy, and he's the nature boy. <laughs> Who are your best friends in the business? It sounds like there's a brotherhood, even if yeah. there's beef. You're the type of person. I'm just you're infectious as hell, bro. I feel <laughs> like you. if you're in a room, you're going to be the first guy to be like, man, just put it here, bro. Like, yeah. I feel like that's... That's that's huge. That's yeah. huge to do, especially in a competitive environment. 
But at the end of the day, who are like your tightest guys that you're tight with? The tightest guys, you know, Kevin Nash, you know, Scott Hall, Jake Roberts, uh, Dusty Rhodes before he left, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Eric Bischoff. You know, it's funny because when Scott passed, boy, who it really hit because you know you, we just talked about Jake it's a month ago, right? This is yeah, a month ago. Yeah. Um, Jake. Uh, um, what happened? Let, let's go back to the resurrection because yeah. you got to really see how that happened. Without Jake, without Dusty Rhodes, there is no Diamond Dallas Page. He gave me all the breaks and the mentoring that because he loved me and he t- pulled me under his wing and he saw me more of as a producer, you know, and and, and, a, and a talent like you know on air talent, not a wrestler. I would do that later. And um, Jake Snake Roberts pulled me under his wing. I, I, this is how I meet Jake Snake Roberts. I've got this big-ass club in Fort Myers, Florida. And right now, we're, we're writing a show about this. And this is how it starts. Club, you have to go, you know, this is the 80s. So think of it as like, welcome to the jungle. The music's playing. Yeah. You see the 62 pink Cadillac pull into the club. The place is packed. Hairband is just like all time high at that point. No, crazy, right? The energy's insane. Everybody's partying. It's pre AIDS. It's, you know, it's, it's a bunch of wild people yeah. having a good time. And, and, uh, the, the character who plays me gets out of the car. This is what really happens. I get out of the car. I go through the club. You're the mayor. There's a thousand plus people in there buying drinks, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. Working your way through the crowd. I get to the back. I reach over. I go to grab my keys that are, you know, right where the monitors are. Front door, back door. And I see the, this guy fill up the screen on the monitor. And I'm like, no way. And I run. Not through the building. Not through the building, around the outside of the building, because I won't be able to find him in there. And I walk in the front door. I go, Judy, did a guy walk in here and look like Jake the Snake Roberts? She's like, yeah, everybody thinks it's him. So, like, the biggest mark ever, I go running in there. <laughs> I see him, and I slow down, because I didn't want to be all fanboyed up on Jake Roberts. And I finally work my way over to him, and I'm like, hey, man, you Jake the Snake Roberts? Who wants to know? <laughs> I said, the guy who runs this place, yes, what can I do for you? What are we drinking? And we am getting so shit-faced that night. And it was the beginning of being bar buddies. And come, he would come into the club and a lot of other boys would because I didn't charge anybody. I took care of them all, gave them a safe place to be. This is before I'm involved in this shit. But I tried it when I was 23. So I had this... Thing connection for it, connection for, yeah. to it, and then later on, Jake when I when I would be in WCW, and I started wrestling. Jake came in for like three months, got this huge contract, and then before he signed it, another guy came in, Bill Watts, and said pulled the contract off the table, and then Jake was out of there because they had a lot of conflict between the two of them. And what ended up happening is I tore my rotator cuff and Jake had called me because now yeah, I'm, I'm wrestling nine months, actually seven months because my contract's up. They're not going to renew it. I'm 36 years old. My my rotator cuff's gone. Yeah, I got to get surgery on it. Jake calls me up and just, you know, sees how I'm doing. Him and his old lady had split up. Before you know it, he's living with me and my wife, my first wife at the time. 
And so he takes me under his wing, and you know, I'm like, man, I can't wait. You know, we're, wow. we're going to do independent. You work independently. Yeah. There's independent wrestling all over the world, and you can make decent money. I was at the bottom of the card, but Jake could get me in. And one of the things he said to me, which was really, really, like, it, it changed my whole life, but it came to this world and how fast I learned. I filmed every match I ever had. And Jake had sold me. I'd said to him, man, I can't wait. When my shoulder's better, I can't wait to get in the ring and work with you. He goes, yeah, yeah. He goes, but you've already got all the moves down. You already know what to do in the ring. You just don't know why. You don't know how to tell a story yet. He goes, we're going to learn more watching your matches and me critiquing them than you will ever learn from me in the ring. Think of game films, right? I mean, every single person from every world has game films except for wrestling. And I started filming myself. The guys would bust my chops so bad. I'm the first guy to ice his body, knees and back later and shoulders later, just to getting out of the ring, icing my body. And then I'm the first guy to film his matches. Look on YouTube today. There's a billion kids who've got their match up on YouTube. And if you really watch it with someone who really mm. understands, and whether it was me and Nash or Scott Hall or, or Austin or McFoley, whoever it was, you know, we'd sit back and drink beers and watch the matches that I just filmed, and they would all help me and critique me. And Jake was the real mind, though. So let me ask you this. So what matters the most in your world? Okay, so you got, first of all, your voice is ridiculous. Your, your <laughs> voice, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you can listen to that voice tell stories it's all like day rough, long. Bro. So <laughs> clearly it'll kick your ass. So how much of, how much of it is phys- like physiology, like what you look like? How much of it is your look, your face? How much of it is your voice? How much of it is storytelling? How much of it is talking shit? How much of it is just you know, flexibility? What would you rank as the most important to being a great wrestler? You're really insightful, bro, because it's all of that. Mm-hmm. When you've got the look and the size and the rap and the athleticism, when you put that all together, you've got like Stone Cold Steve Austin. Mm-hmm. You've got The Rock. You've got uh, um, Goldberg. Right. You know, you've got Kevin Nash. Like the guys who guys who learn to just take themselves and amp them up. And Scott, because he was big Scott Hall or he was Gator Scott Hall, he didn't really know how to be like himself and amp himself up until I'm managing him and we create that look. I told you about the black hair and a brush cut five o'clock shadow, which he had around two. You know? <laughs> uh, Have and, you seen his beard? Of course. Can you can you pull him up real quick? It's, it's amazing. He's got like a perfect. Uh, perfect. Yeah. And, and he Scott used, Hall. Can, and try to pull up a picture of him with a mustache too, like an older picture, so you can see it doesn't look anything like the type same Type of mustache, guy. type of mustache next to him. Yeah, it, it's like a walrus mustache. Let's see. Man, look at, does that look anything like the other guy? <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. And that's Scott Hall right there? That's, wow. Scott, that's big Scott Hall. And, and when did he become Razor Ramon? Well, what happened was when I come up with this idea for the Diamond Stud, he's the one who calls me and says, you know, we could do that Diamond Stud gimmick, you know? <laughs> and I said, well, you, you know, they didn't want to bring him in because he'd already been in. And once you've had a chance, you're kind of out. 
You know, like sometimes it's too early. And it was too early for him to get the, the big opportunity. But if you change his look, and that's what I told Magnum TA, the guy who told me I was too over the top for professional wrestling as a manager, he, he said, uh, you know, they, they've already seen him and they don't want to bring him back in. I go, Mags, what if I can completely change his look? He goes, what do you mean? I go, what if you don't recognize him? So he goes, just bring him up. Bring him up, we'll take a look at him. So I call Scott and I say, dude, I said, you've got to, you know, they, they don't want you. And it just crushed him, you know. It's like, because he just got back from Germany wrestling there and he can't get WWF, WWE, or WCW to call him back. But he's got me here and I'm going, you got, what if we change the color of your hair? I go, mm-hmm. he goes, what do you mean? I go, like, go from like the blonde or dirty blonde hair to the blue black, like Elvis hair. And Honky Tonk Man had black hair like that. The Honky Tonk Man was great. Yeah, and, and, and it's, but he was the only one who had that hair like that. It was Elvis, right? Yeah, of course. And and, and then you bring on, um, you know, the the, uh, the I saw I saw Sean uh, not Sean Michaels. I saw uh, George Michaels on MTV at two o'clock in the morning because I'm a club guy still. Even though I'm staying with my buddy in Atlanta, I can't go to bed that early. So I see George Michael on. And he had this five o'clock shadow look. And I go, man, that looks amazing. So I pick up the phone and I call him. Dally, what are you doing, bro? It's two in the morning. My wife's pregnant. You know, I go, come here. I got to tell you something. You're coming up tomorrow. Come on. Go, walk out of the room. I go, you got to shave, shave the mustache. Shave the mustache. <laughs> like, dude, I've had this since I was 15. I go, just another reason. Shave yeah, the mustache. The Tom Selleck look is done, brother. <laughs> it's over. We got to put the five o'clock shadow George Michael vibes. So the bottom line is he did it. No one recognized him. And it kind of freaked <laughs> Imagine you, you know what you look like. Yeah, of course. And you saw this guy six months ago. And now. Dude, that's, that's, it, that's the example right yeah. there. Look exactly. at that. Exactly. No one. It doesn't even look like the same guy. Crazy! It's, he the one it's that like getting say, out of the hey, 80s yo. into the 2000s. Hey right. yo, he would say hey yo. Who, the, uh, hey, yo who would say Chico? Who would say him too? Him yeah, too, yeah, right? Yeah, he would say Chico. Yeah. Yeah. BBD, yo. you know your stuff, bro. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen. I mean, I'm 43. This is my yeah. era. I watched. Who you was know, your favorite wrestler growing up? Who was your guy? Oh, the obvious one is the Iron Sheik. <laughs> but, 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 but you got to listen. I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate. Do you know what a stud Iron Sheik used to be? Yeah, that's what I hear. He was an animal, bro. He 185 pound Olympic athlete. But he was I no mean, Sergeant Slaughter. Yeah, no, dude. <laughs> so who was your guy? Another great guy. I would say, I mean, in my era, uh, shit, Lex Luger was always good to see him coming out. You know, who was the other guy? The ultimate warrior yep. was... was oh, yeah. uh, Beast. You uh, like the gym guys. I like Jack, the gym yeah. guys. Yeah, I like the... I like the uh, listen, Goldberg to me was... That's a little later, but yeah. Goldberg was insane to watch him. Nash, Sting... Uh, who was the other guy? There was one other guy that was. Uh, uh, I'll look him up. I'll, I'll, I'll. But anyways, this was an era I was watching him. But you go go back yeah. to your story on what you were talking about with him. So so, so changes look. So I changed look. Yeah. And now I've got a '62 pink Cadillac convertible. That's what I drive at the time. And Aretha Franklin vibe. Let's see what it looks like. '62 <laughs> Cadillac pink convertible. And we're driving. Scott didn't even drink back then. He did. He smoked pot. And he be rolling. That's a, that's a fifty nine. <laughs> Got to get a sixty two. That's a fifty nine. Tyler, it's a fifty nine. Moron, what's wrong if, if with you? you? Put in, if you put Diamond Dallas Page, Pink Cadillac, it might, cutter over it there, might come man. up over there. Um, Jacked up right now. He loved the movie Scarface. 
So he would be, you know, smoking an herb and just doing one. There's, there's a million quotes yeah. from Scarface. Our friend Mario does that nonstop, yeah. too. And, and so what happened was when he went to the WWF, I had heard, I can't, I don't know if it was true or not, but I'm pretty sure he told me that Vince wanted to make him like G.I. bro or what, not G.I. bro, but I, an army guy. And he said, you know, Vince, what do you think about this? And they went into the character mm-hmm. and Vince loved it. And then they, one of my very good friends, Gabriel Iglesias, the, the comedian, Fluffy. He said, yeah, yeah, Fluffy. Fluffy said he cried when he realized he wasn't Mexican. <laughs> still, still loved, still hey, he's loved. He's just a white guy? Hey, yo, yeah, he's a white guy. He's a white guy. But he's, he played it so oh, well. He played he it, played so it well. better than Mexicans played yeah. it. I, I want to address one thing. I, we're talking about this, guys. I got to just hit it head on. My favorite wrestler all time, growing up, I'm an 80s kid, 90s kid, straight up, it wasn't anything close to Hulk Hogan. I am a real America. I mean, are you kidding me? When you're a kid growing up, you're just like, hell yeah. I mean, Hulk. I mean, he's got his 62-inch python, whatever. Look, there was there was an Ultimate Warrior. There was Macho Man Randy ultimate Savage. Ultimate Warrior, wow. Yeah. I mean, Jake the Snake, Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, Superfly Jimmy Snuka, Junkyard. Like, I loved wrestling, but nobody... Was Hulk Hogan? No, he was. He, is he the goat? Who's the goat? Well, he and said Ric Flair. He said Ric Flair's the goat. Say, I gotta say, Rick, when it because you got you gotta add the work in there too. Mm-hmm. Like Rick could do sixty minute Broadways, meaning he's gonna wrestle for sixty minutes with no winner at the end. You know, what I mean, <laughs> like he's that guy. And but if you take the icon who at the time was the hottest, it's Hulkster. Yeah. You know? But you look at a guy like Shawn Michaels who was. Just a younger version who could yeah. could do. I mean, he did stuff at, at just an unbelievable different level. If Stone Cold Steve Austin has the length of Ric Flair when it comes to longevity, because he got mm. dropped on his head and broke his neck, uh, you know, maybe he's the guy mm-hmm. because he drew money. He drew more money than Hulk drew in a shorter oh, period shit. of time. Yeah, because remember, so he's like Connor. He would pull money. Say again? Because Connor, you know, Connor, Connor and UFC. Oh, Connor yeah, right, money. right, 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 right. And that's Austin. Mm-hmm. And Austin, I mean, I wow. they're both, I tell you, when you get to that level, the grab, how you grab the crown, like I was so lucky to live the dream like I did, man. 1997 was my year. 1998 was amazing. In 99, and this is all in my 40s. Crazy. <laughs> you know, all in my 40s. And what ended up happening, where the whole DDP yoga thing comes from, I'm working 270 plus days a year, hitting the mat. One match, because I'm one main events through all of this. So one match could go 15 minutes, it could go 30. That's like having five to eight car accidents in one day. And Ric Flair said something really, you know, interesting. He said, "It's amazing what your body can get used to." So pain it, tolerance, yes, but just your body can yeah. just keep get used to it. And then when you stop doing it and you come back, oh my God, it's like starting all over again. So I was working such a feverish pitch along with doing, you know, Malone, Carl Malone, right. and Dennis Rodman, Jim mm-hmm. Rodman was with Hogan, and me and Carl Malone came on while they were on the Tonight Show, and we shot kind the angle. Showed Malone and DDP. 
And I have to teach these guys now how to wrestle. <laughs> They're not wrestlers. So we have to figure and out. Malone is huge. There you go. Look at that picture right beast. there. Beast. Like, that is the. I, I, I'm going to go back and tell you the story. So Hulk pulls me aside in Germany, 1994. I just walked through the curtain and he pulls me aside. He goes, How are you doing it? I go, How am I doing what, Hulk? He goes, How are you getting so much better? He goes, I don't see you on TV that often. They don't believe in me at the time. They're not using me. So he goes, but when I do see you, you come up with some new move I haven't seen you do, and you get the people involved. He goes, this is how they're doing it, right? He answers his own question. He goes, they're putting you on the road so you can learn your craft. I said, oh, the only reason I'm on this tour is because my real name is Falkenberg, and the Krauts love their Germans, and <laughs> I got a smoking hot wife that walks me to the ring. He goes, well, how the hell are you doing it then? And I said, I went back down to the power plant where I learned how to wrestle, and I started teaching those guys. And I'm kind of figuring out the more I teach them, the more I learn. This is about everything, and you know this. Of course. If you teach someone and keep teaching them and keep teaching them, you're learning as you're teaching. The most. The, the most important yep. thing. So, and obviously, great, Hulk, I'm, I'm, thank you. I appreciate the compliment. He goes, mm-hmm. he goes, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Because it's not today, it's not next year, the year after. He said, but I honest to God believe that you and I could draw huge money together. Wow. Four years later, that is the big second biggest drawing pay-per-view in the history of pay-per-views for WCW. 98. And I'm the one who put that whole thing together. From Carl coming in, Rodman was already coming in with Hulk. But I put the idea together, brought it to Bischoff. Bischoff saw Malone, you know, sweep L.A. that year, and he said, let's do it. And it happened. So it's, you know, getting, you never know who's watching. You know, that's our, that's one of the little little things I explain to people. You know, you, if you're going to clean a you know, bathroom or sweep a floor, like, do it the right way. Because somebody's watching, and it might just change your life. That's so powerful, yeah. by the way. Oh God, you never so know powerful. who's watching. No. Well, listen, he's at 270 out of 365. So so you're working 270. It's like having five to eight car accidents a day. Mm-hmm. F- uh, 15 to 30 minutes, uh, you're running, jumping back, dropping, all this stuff. That's insane, too. To the uh, Credit goes to the body, by the way, how capable we are. So many right. times we're like, there's no way in the world I can do this. And all. I've had four kids. You watch the body have a baby. You're like, how do how do you do that? Mm-hmm. The body is so much more capable than we think we we think it is. But going going back to uh, what you're talking about here, the greatest of all time. You said Rick is at the top. Rick Flair, yeah. Hawk is in a conversation. He said all this stuff. But let's go to peak. Who peaked the most for one year, two year, three years? Like Goldberg, you know, freaking. That's, that's like, what I'm saying. So I, you know how yeah. th- they'll say the greatest boxer of all time is Ali, right? But the greatest peak of all time isn't it Tyson? Like, yeah. So, kinda, so yeah. who would be the greatest peak? Would you put Goldberg at the top? I would say him or Austin because they were so hot. The Rock, The Rock yeah. had a <laughs> crazy, you know. Uh, but was really like if Austin in McMahon don't have that feud where basically like give him the finger to your, to your boss, you know, and people love that. Like Steve changed the game. The NWO took it. Like you never would have thought WCW could have competed with WWE. But when Austin, you know, when, when we did NWO, 
we kicked their ass. For like Bischoff has a show, uh, um, a podcast called Eighty Three Weeks, and Eighty Three Weeks we kicked their ass. And then <laughs> that whole Austin and McMahon thing happened, and it started to shift the tide again. You know, and th- and that's where. How did that happen? How did the friction between the two happen? What it, caused it? What oh, was the tipping fuck. point? Vince was is probably the you know maybe the greatest heel of all time because he just he he fully commits and he was not afraid to have you know have Austin in this scenario shine him mm-hmm. and it was really you know it was it's just great television and uh you know the, the, everybody wants to not everybody but many people want to knock their boss out you know? <laughs> <laughs> not true over here over here I love my boss don't put that in his head. When you, when you say heel, this is someone who plays the villain. Yes. Right? Yes. Walk us through that, because I assume most people want to be the hero. No. The Hogan, the good guy. No, you're saying most no. people want to play the heel? Every, pretty much every guy who starts yeah. wants to be the heel. Really? It's fun to be J.R. Ewing. <laughs> it's fun. It's easy to get people to hate you. Mm. It's really hard to get people to love you. You've got to really be vulnerable. Uh, you've got to you've got to show something that they can identify with. For me, it was the underdog. You know, Jim Ross called me the greatest overachiever of all time, and in my Hall of Fame speech, I said, "To be an overachiever, you must first be an overbeliever." And it's so true. You, it, it, when I was inducting Jake in the Hall of Fame. And you have to understand, before Jake moved into my place, and and anybody who's never seen the the resurrection of Jake the Snake, it's on Amazon Prime, along with another documentary we just put out called Relentless. Um, But it's dark because it's addiction. But it will make you laugh. It will make you cry. Most of all, it will inspire you. Because Jake just didn't burn bridges, as we call that, you know. Jake nuked them. Like, he was never going to take... He had said so many bad things about WWE and Vince McMahon. and You know, again, when you're addicted, you do things that you don't do when you're beating the addiction. What was he addicted to? Booze, pills, coke, crack. You know, I mean, everything. And because Jake helped me to, like, I don't ever get... Without Dusty Rhodes, there's no Diamond Dallas Page. Without Jake, there's no three-time world champion. Without the, both of those guys guiding me when I needed them, I'm not a Hall of Famer. But I was because I, being 35, like I said earlier, was the hardest thing I ever did, hitting that mat in the beginning. But it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I was smarter than I would have been at 35. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I should you know, say so at 25. Right. You know, 25, I, I would have done a lot of stupid things. And I don't think I ever would have had the career I had. And it was pretty, and, and everything that I do, it's like when Jake comes into the, to the, the crib, and I call it the accountability crib. Um, when he comes in there, the number one thing I want him to understand is you are the story you tell yourself. That inner voice. You know, we all have it. You know, if it's this is funny because I'm preparing for a speech that I'm going to do uh, for someone, George's Corporation. 
And um, about 10 years ago, I heard that Harvard did a, um, did a uh, uh, one of the things where they get a group of people together. Focus group. Focus group. And they, I heard that 72% of the people See, things that we worry about never happen. So I thought, oh, I'm preparing for this. I'm going to actually, I'm going to look it up. I want to see that study. Harvard never did a study on the worrying thing, uh, but Cornell did. But it wasn't 72%. It was 85%. Following people over an extended period of time, 85% of the things they worry about never happen. And it gets better than that. Of that 15%, 79% handled the adversity way better than they thought they would. Yeah. And many of them said, I'm glad it happened wow. because I learned something from it. So really, 97%, according to this study, by kind of a decent school, you know, Cornell. Mm-hmm. It's an Ivy League. Top yeah. of the line. Yeah. Um, 90% of things we never never worry we worry about never happen. So again, Jake, let's tell change the story. Like that you tell yourself like when he came in and it was more like he was waiting to die. And when someone died, he was pissed it wasn't him. He never had dreams anymore cuz you were there's so much fog on your brain from the coke and the crack and the booze and the pills. You know, so when he when he got there, the first thing I do, and the same thing, and we talked about this earlier, the show we're filming right now called Change or Die. And the first thing I do is change what they eat. Hmm. Like, no gluten, no dairy, no GMOs, organic, or what God created. <laughs> you know, because when, what... I get people eating, it affects their mindset. It, they're, they're so beat up and hurt. Jake and Scott were so beat up, and I couldn't believe how bad a shape they were in physically. You change the food they eat, because our food sucks in this country. It's, it's criminal what the lobbyists and the big corporations mm-hmm. have done to our food. Just watch Food Inc., Genetic Regret, our GMO, OMG. And then you'll have a little bit of an insight. Now, these are all things I make people watch and things they have to do to be a part of what I'm doing. So Jake and those guys, so now they change what they eat. They already start feeling better. Now, my workouts, my DDP yoga, or I call it DDPY. Why? Because I want people to stop calling it just fucking yoga. Because it's not. It's yoga, rehab, old school calisthenics, and something I call dynamic resistance, which is flexing and engaging as you're moving. So just like lifting weights, time under tension. So what happens, every time you flex or engage a muscle, your heart has to beat faster to get the blood to the muscle. So what ends up happening is you get in the cardiovascular workout, breaking up scar tissue and creating mobility, strengthening your core at a different level, all with minimal joint impact. Now, you guys, I've been sitting here for the last hour. When I blew oh, my he's back, getting up, y'all. Watch out. When I, when I PVD. My back out, can you get a camera so you can get see? A, get, a, get a mic closer to your DDP. Okay, so he's good. you can lift it up. Okay. All right, let me try this. Okay, there we 
So when I blew my back out, this was my flexibility. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I've been sitting here the whole time. Right. This is cold. Damn, he's all the way down. Insane. But flexibility. 65 years old? 66. Hey, but who's counting? You're looking great. Core shape, core balance, core strength is a whole different animal. Being able to stand here and talk Holy to you shit. and grab either one of my feet and grab it and pull it over my Holy head. shit. Dude, that's And have ridiculous. a conversation with you at six <laughs> foot four, 228 pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal. <laughs> Let's go. That, that's, and 66 years young. Your wife must to, love that move, whatever, whatever that was. My wife makes me look like I'm not pliable at all. <laughs> she's amazing. And she's broken her back twice. I've heard. So my, my point is with the program, what happened to me when I was wrestling with Kevin Nash, and it was a tag match, and Kevin picked me up for the powerbomb that he does, He's six foot ten, legit, and he's throwing me and trying to get me to go flat. But when I hit, it wasn't that bump; it was the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. I ruptured my L four and L five, so God gave us this incredible spine, right? And in between are these amazing things called discs, but they're like shock absorbers. Well, take a jelly donut and do that. Now it becomes bone on bone. And I don't know how I did it. All I know is so much of this reaching and stretching and strengthening. I'm constantly creating traction because I'm trying to pull those bones off each Mm. other. I was told by three different spine specialists when this happened that I was never wrestle again. I just had signed the multi-million dollar big deal. And I'd never gotten paid before that. So the money was a factor, but it was more the dream. I just got there. And now, I mean, I'm as high as you can be. I'm up there with everybody. According to Pro Wrestling Illustrated, 97 and 98, I'm number four in the world. Austin's one. I'm four. He's 35. He's 32. I'm 42. Crazy. So I'm, I'm, I'm I'm in the conversation of the top 10 easily. And for me, I gotta get back there. I just gotta get back there because I gotta prove you can do this. In less than three months, I'm that guy. In less than three months. In less than three months. But I didn't do it, you know, 20 minutes a day. I started with 20 minutes a day, twice a day. And I was doing yoga in the beginning. In the first three weeks, I felt a significant difference. I was like, wow, this is really helping had to figure out modifications. All my workouts are surrounded around modifications. Like I said, bed flex starts off in bed. Chair force sits in a chair. Stand strong, holds on to the chair. So you can create balance again and strength and get up and get down. And it just helps you make it easier so you can get to that next spot of breaking up the scar tissue and creating the mobility. Hmm. Like I said, less than three months, I'm back in the ring. At 42, they said my career's over. At 43, I'm the world champ. Now, understand whether, and I, and I put it like this, like world championship, that's our Oscar. Okay? U.S. title, intercontinental, hmm. that's our Emmy. You know, and, and so forth. Like, there's, it's like you're drawing, you're bringing people to the crowd. Like those belts, all these fans have them because it's like it's 
it's part of the nostalgia that goes with it. And it's, you know, as far as my program, it's just for me in the beginning, for years. And I start sharing it with some of my buddies. And in 2004, I said, I'm going to make, I'm going to turn this into something. So me and my business partner, uh, Dr. Craig Aaron, we wrote a book on it. We called it Yoga for Regular Guys. Back then, that's what I was calling it. And for years, you know, I made a DVD series up, uh, and it was just the workouts. And then I put together a whole program with the food and, the, you know, the, um, the, uh, the inspirational part. And it still didn't go anywhere. It took eight years to become an overnight success. Mm-hmm. And Doesn't it usually work that way, though, that, by the that's, way? That's how it does. It's like, oh, it's like the 10,000-hour thing, Yep. you know? And in this scenario, Arthur Borman's video went viral. And this was a disabled vet that I'd helped. It was some five foot six, 297 pounds, couldn't walk without the knee braces, back braces, and the wraparound canes. He starts, every single person who got my program, it was just DVDs, I would send him an email. It was no auto-send today. I do have auto-send. But back then, there was no auto-send. You're sending it. I sent it. I cut, paste, put their name on it, sent it to them. And I said, I'm not trying to sell you anything. I want to thank you. I call people all the time who get my program. And I'll say, hey, hey, uh, is uh, Jenny there? Uh, yeah, I was speaking. I go, hi, oh, this is DDP. Who? I go, DDP, Diamond Dallas Page from uh, DDP Yoga. You're calling me? I just, does this remind you of anything, Pat? Does this remind you? Yeah. Pat does the same thing to value out this. there. It's the most entertaining part of what I we do. You get it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a great oh, People experience. freak that's, out. Dude, that's great. People it's freak a great out. great experience. Pat, let me ask you something while yeah. we're on this topic. You've always been a fit guy. Yeah. I mean, this guy was in the Army. He was a bodybuilder. I don't know if you've got these pictures, but this guy's. I mean, no, he's in great shape. You guys yeah. are the same size, pretty much. But lately, you've been working out more than ever. You're getting up at 6 a.m. and you're doing hardcore workouts. Yeah. I mean, he's telling you all the benefits. He's 66 years old. He's bending over. Like, how much better do you feel since you've changed your, you know, physical workout regimen every morning in your no, life? Night now? and day. Night and day. I mean, it's not even a question about what it does to your body. If, if I don't work out, I just don't feel better. Hmm. It's very weird to display. If you look at that picture right there, look at that guy to the left. <laughs> look at that guy. I'm 6'1", 135 to the left. <laughs> And then to the right, uh, I'm in the army. That's my army barracks. On the bottom you're one, you're the badass dude. dude. Click on that one. What about that? Uh, yeah, you look at the ripped. back. Look at the pictures. It's what? all Flex magazine. It's uh, all Angel Tevis. Go it's down Angel a little Sadali. bit. <laughs> this one, dude. Pat, are you kidding me, dude? No, that's Valley <laughs> Total Fitness, Culver dude, City, in the basement. You were ready for the ring. <laughs> <laughs> you, you hey, brother, you listen here right now. But but to yeah. do what he just did. At 66 years old, yeah, I'm 43. To be able to do that in 23 years, right? That's like pinnacle. I, the only thing I know what to do is to be 43 years old. I only know 43 and less than that. I have no clue mm-hmm. what it is at 66. So that's just major After props the- and respect, brother, for you to do what you're doing. Uh, uh, the way you, the way you just stood up and did that. So, so you helped that man out. You helped a lot of different guys out to change their lifestyle. Uh, with the drugs. You were talking about earlier when he said, Jake, I would look at him. He just said he didn't have another dream. Just there's no other dream that he was looking forward to. Every time somebody died, he was hoping it's him, right? So you help shape that mindset of somebody like him to look forward to the dream. Is that kind of what you did? Well, 
he, he had a really, 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 really dark childhood. And he carried that. And it probably helped him do some really great interviews later. Um, but we were doing, when I proved Jake into my house, and then later Scott as well, um, everybody thought I was crazy. Like I was bringing addicts. Like everybody gave up on both of them. Kevin Nash didn't give up on Scott Hall. But besides that, everybody given up on both of those guys. And when Jake came in, I mean, we got interviewed by Deadline and, you know, and Yahoo Sports and HBO Sports came. Like, everyone was like, they were so blown away by the story. And I didn't look at it as bringing an attic into my house. I looked at it as bringing it to my brother, who literally, and both of those guys were very instrumental in my career, having the career I had. And Jake would, when he'd get on his thing, he'd start talking about this dark shit again. And I looked at the guy and I said, can you hold on a second? I just want to talk to him for a minute. And I pulled him in the next room. I said, bro, I get you have this past, but if you keep holding on to this past, we're never going to get by that. I go, what about all the amazing things? You have eight kids and right now, four of them are talking to you again. That's a big deal, right? He goes, of course it is. I go, yeah. Nobody would book you for more than 500 bucks. At the time, he was making like 2,500. I go, you're up five times in your booking fee because people know they can count on you. What about all the amazing things that are happening in your life? And he just started changing it then. He would walk up to people because he's doing my program, right? And he's feeling so much better. And then in the beginning, he's got to use the chair. He's got to use this. He's got to use that. All of a sudden, he doesn't use any of that. And he's so much stronger, has so much more confidence. That's the number one thing that DDPY builds. Confidence. Because people can't do that in the beginning, bringing their foot over their head. But then they can. You, mm-hmm. you, you know what's crazy? I'm watching and I'm listening to you. The relationship, the calls, the lifting up, the motivation, the uh, uh, looking at... Uh, Scott and saying, here's what I want you to do. Shave the mustache. Have a, you know, four o'clock shave. More for him at two o'clock. You know, I've never had this mustache since 15 years old. Don't worry about it. That's the problem. We got to cut it off. It's, it's the, you doing the management part at first where they say you can't do it anymore. It's very obvious you would have made a great manager if you would have continued doing that. You're great in sales. You're great in relationship. You could have made a hell of a sales leader. You could have made a hell of a you, you know, because you're also looking at people, how you can improve them, right? You're looking at everything on how right. you can improve them. You're watching tape. You're watching. You could have gone in a different field and done very, very well for yourself, whether it was wrestling or not, just, just from watching that. Career earnings for somebody like you. What is career earnings for somebody like you? What kind of money did you make in wrestling? Wrestling, when it was all said and done, probably made close to Six or seven million. And what did you make outside of it while you're wrestling? I'm talking like sponsorship, you know, stuff like that. Um, did you get a lot of that as well? No, nah, okay. there, there was some, but okay. nothing that was significant. But since then, like, it, like I say, it took eight years before it took eight years in wrestling before I made money, before my you know career blew up. It was an overnight success. Same thing with DDP Yoga, and then boom, eight years, and I've made. 
Eight times that. Eight times that. Yeah. Just from your program. Well, maybe maybe six. Six That's times that. 40 million bucks. That's a yeah. lot of money. That's yeah. solid money to be able to do that. In wrestling, who's the highest paid of all time? Like, who's made the most money? Would, the GOAT is Rick, but I don't think Rick's the highest paid. I mean, paid. I got to put the Rock up there. I would say I would say Hulk, because remember, Hulk, Rock's, Rock, if you take overall wealth, the Rock's the king. The Rock's right. the, the, the Rock's the Mac Daddy because he's making thirty million dollars a movie now. You know, he just had, I'm talking strictly not outside. I'm talking strictly wrestling. from the wrestling world. I would this gotta say John Hulk. Cena I, over here. I, I would say John Cena would be up there, sure, uh, but. Um, I would say Hulk would have been up That's there. That's not all time, though. That's just for the year. Yeah. I'm curious to know what the all time is. I'm curious to know, like, if it's, you know, uh, all time highest paid wrestler. I'd be so curious to know what it, what the. Okay, there you go. Mick Foley, 18 million. Chris Jericho, 18 million. Keep going. Kurt Angle, twenty-five million. Interesting. You got Hulk, twenty-five million. Yeah, but I think that's net worth now. What they oh, think? Oh, that's net worth. You got know, and, and I don't really know how much of that is because these, these are just numbers people kind of pull together. Vince is an easy one to figure out. Because, Triple H wouldn't be up there. Triple H. Oh, he absolutely be. would be. He, he absolutely would be. like one fifty. Yeah. But again, he also is part yeah. of the. Uh, you're, if you're talking just wrestling, though, yeah. like money you made just off of wrestling, because. Because it says Rock is worth four hundred, but it's not from wrestling. Right, yeah, it's, from on other, it's, yeah. it's on everything. Yeah. but without his wrestling, without his wrestling base, Rock's not the Rock. Oh my God! You know, what I mean, yeah. when I saw him do Saturday Night Live the very first time, I said, I said to myself, "Going to be the biggest star in the world." You knew that, knew it, because he can do anything. Like he taught himself guitar. Like there's there's things that the Rock did. Like he would. I just amazing some of the things that he came up with. Like he wrote a song, you know, and he sing a Sick song, song like crazy, <laughs> funny stuff that that, and he just yeah. is just a, an amazing performer. Like he has changed and opened the door for wrestlers as actors. Mm-hmm. Like people can't because wrestling people a lot of people look down their nose. Well, guess what, Hollywood, the biggest star in the world's a wrestler. And not a guy who walked away from it. Still does so much stuff for us. He's got a show on TV called Young Rock, you know, that he produces as a kid, him as a kid, with all the wrestlers. He never turns his nose away from his fan base where it all started. And but the Rock's the most loved guy on the planet. I honest to God believe, and I know it's, I said this way a long time ago, but he could be the president of the United States. Mm-hmm. We talk yeah. about it all the time. Yeah, and, yeah. He, and, he, and but in I, serious discussions, serious. by the way. But do you really want that? And you know what? He might. I don't know, but I think he would be amazing. I remember one point they were kidding around about it and saying Tom Hanks is his vice president. I think that way they totally <laughs> kill everybody that. Well, what do you think yeah. about that video Rock did calling out Trump? Where are you? Where is he? Yeah. yeah it kind of almost sounded like yeah. Batman. You know, he went straight at Trump, bro. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, that it took balls because all those freaking red guys, they love him. Well, that kind of pissed a bunch of them off. Yeah. But you know, when people say to me, like, you're a Republican or a Democrat, I say, I think you both suck. <laughs> You know, I don't think he, but either one's trying to help the other, which is us, the other. Mm-hmm. They're not trying to help us. They don't give a shit about themselves and their own agendas. And they all lie about everything and never get busted. 
You know, it's mind-boggling. Well, Trump uh, would make appearances at WWE, would he not? He, I think, didn't he fight Vince McMahon? He's a he is a in the celebrity wing Hall of Famer. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever had? To, have you ever yeah. had to? Have you ever interacted with Trump? Is have you ever I, been there when the whole wrestling thing? No, I never was there when he was doing that. I met him once when he literally first got with his wife, and I was at a Elizabeth Glazer Eight Foundation thing, and he was super nice. Mm-hmm. He was super nice. You know, the guy. You know. I hated the stuff he did on Twitter and now the big whole thing with Elon and, mm-hmm. and Twitter and everything. But, you know, I hated because he really could have just turned the curb. He could have turned the curve once he got in there because he's a very charismatic cat, you know. And, you know, he could have been, I to me, he could have been much better mm-hmm. at doing the president thing, you know, and trying to pull us together you know, but it is what it is. Again, I think all politicians are bullshit. You, you brought up, he brought up the Elon Musk Twitter thing. I mean, this is something you've, we've been talking about for weeks now. I'm sure you've now that it's been 24 hours since it's happened. How are you processing this since yesterday? Pat? They realized the poison pill was going to backfire and they were going to be in court for the rest of their lives. And finally they caved and they said, Elon, you know, shit, we can't do nothing about it. I guarantee you this took place. I'm telling you right now. Now, I may be wrong lawyers, they had a meeting with the legal team. And they said, okay, what do what can we do at this point if we pull the poison pill? You can pull the poison pill. Just make sure when the market finds out you didn't let Elon Musk buy Twitter and he sells off his 9.2%, the same amount of shares he owns as Morgan Stanley, just make sure you can make the stock go up the next three quarters. Because if it goes... Below 30, after you push Elon away and he sells off the other 9.2, if it goes below 30, we're going to be in court for 5, 10 years. If you guys are okay with that, then use the poison pill. If not, let the man buy the company. And then finally everybody looked around, and there were certain people that probably still didn't want to do it, and they wanted to still use the poison pill. But some of the guys that are just on the board to help the company make more money said, sell the company. I'm telling you, I think the decision was made that logically and then they sold off to Elon. They couldn't do anything. Elon, one thing you got to say about this guy, man. Listen, you know, uh, uh, name the greatest trolls of all time. Trump's on that list. Trolls. <laughs> you say trolls, right, right? right? Name the greatest trolls of all time. Jake okay. Paul's up there these days. <clears throat> they call, Jake Paul's coming up, but he's a young troll. Yeah. I'm talking like legendary trolls of all mm. time. You got to put him up there. You got to put, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 who else would you put in the wrestling world and UFC? You got to put Connor in that world as a... Great troll. I'm talking shit talkers, I'm talking, the pot. I'm talking getting under the skin type of a yeah. so text exchange came up, right? You want to show the text exchange between With Musk Elon? and Gates? I don't know if you saw this or not. Uh, so here's a text exchange that came out. Make it a little smaller so we can see it. Uh, so the first text goes out. Can you do it or read, no? Read I can't the top read. part of it. Apparently, so apparently Bill Gates hits up Elon Musk to uh, discuss philanthropy on climate change. But Elon asked if he still had a half a billion dollars short on Tesla. Bill said, yes, he hasn't closed it out. So Elon told him to get lost. No idea if this is true, LOL. Well, Elon responds. Here's what he said on the bottom right there. He says, do you still have a half million dollars? He says, sorry, but I cannot take your philanthropy on climate change. Seriously, when you have a massive short position against Tesla, the company doing the most to solve climate change. And so people ask Elon Musk, and look what he said. Go out there and click on his Twitter account. To see if this is bullshit and if this is real, right? No, you should first go to his account, and then you can go to that uh, trolling. He responds, go a little lower. You'll see one of the ones when he responds. And he says, that is the text exchange. I don't know who got it. Go a little lower. 
go a little lower. Oh, he responds somewhere there that he did respond. Okay, anyways, go back to the uh, uh, post that he put up there, Bill Gates. And then he posts this, in case you need to lose a boner fast. That's Bill Gates and that image of Apple. So you're basically saying that Elon Musk is one of the greatest trolls of all time. They're so not the greatest at this point. Is, what I'm saying to you is, what I'm saying to you is, this guy cornered mm-hmm. Twitter's board to say, I dare you to not let me buy the company. I dare you. I think that's how it happened. What was the poll you did yesterday about Elon Musk? I asked the question. I said, what percentage of you, uh, uh, how will you react with Elon Musk, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, buying Twitter? Number one, are you leaving? And I said, number two, uh, will you be more active? Number three, you know, you no don't difference. give a shit, you know, something like that. And I'll be more active. Nothing will change. And then who cares? You know how many people said well, leaving? Two percent. Everybody was like, yeah, I'm going to be more active. The, the one that won the most was I'll be more active. Don't forget what Elon did. Elon came out and he said, do you guys know the top 10 most followed people on Twitter? They rarely ever tweet. He says, do you know that Justin Bieber hasn't tweeted but so many times? Do right. you know that such and such person? Do you know that Barack Obama only tweets this many times? Why do we have the top biggest accounts that are not active on Twitter? He's asking the right question. The whole blue, ch- you know, that everybody wants that blue check mark. Yeah, of course. He says, why don't we just give the blue check mark to everybody that pays two ninety nine a month? Why don't we do that? If you pay two ninety nine a month, let's get rid of all the bots. If you pay two ninety nine a month, you're not fake because all these people are creating these fake accounts. Right. Let's eliminate all these fake accounts that are out there. Because they're not paying two ninety nine a month. I mean, I love what this guy is doing. So anybody and everybody can get the blue chip if you pay two ninety nine a month, whatever the fee is going to be. Now he's allowing, you know, the new CEO made a few changes that they allow you to put ten minute videos. We couldn't do that before. It was two twenty. Now you can't put a ten minute video. Anyways, the market's very very happy. However, yesterday the legendary Brian Stelter, which I don't know if you follow him, he's a famous wrestler from <laughs> CNN. <laughs> he goes by the thumb. <laughs> He's a famous. I can't. We can't play that. But he said something. He says, "Well, I just want you to think about this. Imagine you have two parties to go to. One party, you can say whatever you want to say, and you're free. And another party you go to, people have to be a little bit more responsible with what they say. Which party would you want to go to?" And then somebody comments on my tweet, and he says, "I, I can't imagine him having ever been to a single party in his life That's before." True. Because the biggest thing is people don't believe the guy's 34 years old. That, that guy to the left is 34 years old. That's what I was just about to He's 34 Dude, he, years old. Brian, do yourself a favor. <laughs> He's Contact Diamond Dallas Page yeah. on how to look younger. Start doing some DDPY. Years old. Uh, he needs DDPY more yeah. than anybody needs DDPY. Well, <laughs> back, back to Elon. Yeah. We're on this Bosley's, topic right now. Man. Did yeah. you see the latest with Jack Dorsey now? Did you see what Jack Dorsey had to say about Elon? I sent that to you on Slack. What do you think Jack Dorsey's response about Elon buying Twitter is. First of all, what do you think? Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. How many conversations do you think Elon and Jack have had in the process of him buying Twitter? What do you think? Nonstop. Are you kidding me? Like, you know how he said he said it's a it's a family it's a brotherhood. Affair, brotherhood. Right. Yeah. Dude, these guys are PayPal mafia yeah. brotherhood homies. <laughs> They're texting, calling. They live by a certain code that nobody else knows about. Jack's known it for the longest time. Elon's already mm. told Jack, I want you to be on the board. You know, all these conversations, they've already had the conversations. And on top of that, yeah. what did come out yesterday, which was interesting, because I said the five things that was going to happen once Elon bought it. I yep. said, number one, he's going to buy Twitter, take it private. Number three, he's going to do whatever he's doing with uh, Brady's picture to be eliminated. Then it's going to be Trump's going to be back. He's and then mainstream's going to lose their mind and all this stuff. 
But the one thing that the story is not coming out is even if Twitter lets Trump back on, he may not want to come back on because he's still pushing Truth Social. Oh, get out of here with so this Truth, Truth Social. Social was yesterday Truth going Socially has officially put the nail in the coffin. You don't think he's just going to come back to Twitter now? That's not Truth what, Social is doing that right there. Trump will not return to Twitter even as Elon Musk purchases platform will begin his own Truth Social. Yeah, well, By the way, I don't think that's a smart the, move. I don't think that's a smart move. Not a smart move. No, I don't think that's a smart move. Go back to Jack Dorsey's quote. Uh, about I see, Elon? As you say, even Melania doesn't use truth. Like, the only person <laughs> yeah. that uses truth is Trump. And nobody can get on it, right? Elon answer. is the singular solution, I trust. That's it, some pretty high praise. But it's not, it's not, this is, he said this to Elon before he said it to public. He's, he said this to Elon yeah. before he said it, it to it's, public. It's all a work. Yeah. That's what we call it in our business. It's, it's all set up. Yeah. You know, and, and for this cat, with all the bazillions of dollars he has... He's kind of knowing what he know. Kind of, he has a plan, and mm-hmm. the plan, as like you said, was already discussed before it ever went out there. And he already knew who the votes were coming in that he needs, and who else he you know yeah. who's going to partner with him. You know, Pe- to me, I don't I don't believe anything anymore. You know, it's like just do your thing, Elon. Go for it. You know. Well, you know they say everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that's what happened <laughs> last week that. by Mike Tyson, the guy in the flight. Did you see that? That was that pissed me off so bad. Like that, I watched that kid. He was really aggravating. Yeah. I don't know why the stewardess didn't come over and go, you, sit out, shut up. Yeah. I mean, something. I mean, he was really Apparently he had Mike's- a record. Apparently he had a record and he's been, I don't know, there were some stories about the guy that came up about him having a record. Did you see that, Tyler, or no? Yeah, he has several different charges he's been arrested for. Look, yeah. clearly the guy's got to screw loose if you're talking shit to Mike Tyson. Clearly, you've got a uh, you know a loud mouth and you're drinking or an problem agenda, or an agenda. Or an agenda, you know. Fifty minutes of so, fame. So here's my question, DDP. You're a massive dude. I mean, how often does somebody say, "What's Never. up, DDP? You gotta go." Nobody tries to talk Never. trash to you. Never. Everybody they know who I am. Yeah. And the people who don't, you know, you can see by the way I carry myself. I'm not the guy. I you know you say do something with my wife. Mm-hmm. That's a different story. But with me, you can't piss me off. I just, you know, I, I eliminate yeah. your voice. What do you think? And, was I, and one... I don't get. I really don't get that ever because, like, I mean, I help a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But what do you know? think was going through Tyson's mind? I mean, I'm talking. Oh my Putting God. yourself as in a in a position of a high profile <laughs> major athlete, tough guy, which you are, and Tyson is sitting on the plane, you know, doing his things, probably on a mushroom or two. It's certainly high. And this jackass is just going off on him. I'm getting Put the yourself stewardess. in Tyson's shoes. I'm getting the stewardess and go, can you move that asshole? Yeah. Or can you shut him up? You know, he's bothering my wife. Because I'm not going to let him step into my space. You know, when you're in this scenario, there, there is there is an ulterior motive. It's not just maybe in the beginning he was a little excited about it. But after a while, he's just being an asshole. Mm-hmm. You know, he has no respect for anyone's space. And he's got some kind of issue, you know, but the stewardesses, you know, they're pretty strict these days, you know, since 9-11, yeah. you know, it's a different animal. How did the steward, was he in first the class? Way, the, the internet never loses. it. It's undefeated. Look at this right yeah. here. <laughs> the Air Marshal and then Mike Tyson beating the shit out of some guy. <laughs> right. How did the stewardess not show up? How did other people not see what was about to go on? Again, I thought that I'm looking at that. I'm going, is this a work? I mean, where is yeah. Bing? 
right. being like hitting the button. Now, what kind and, of... Um, and Mike doesn't deserve to be treated no. like that in any way, shape, or form. Because you're talking about a guy who's turned his life around. Well, by the way, Pat okay. interviewed him for an hour. Yeah, and it was one of the coolest things, talking to that guy. But question for you. How many guys who were in wrestling... Let's just say he lost to another guy that was the one that, you know, let's just say Vince or Eric is building a guy up to be like a face, and you lost. But how many guys were like, well, listen, if this was a real fight, I'd beat the hell out of you. Was there any guys like that that were like oh, of course, there, you know, street fighters that were like, talking, I would yeah. crush you if we got into a street fight? Yeah, but this, it's not why you get into the business. It's a show. Yeah, you know, it's a show. Early, earlier years... Like, yeah, they called them shooters. You know, like, if he didn't want to lose, you weren't losing. Like, nobody was going to move Andre the Giant around mm-hmm. if he didn't want to be let moved around. You know, because Andre was like, and Big Show was the same way. I remember Big Show was wrestling with him, and I did this one spot. And Big Show was, you know, seven foot one, 500 pounds. Yeah, shack size. Yeah, shack size. Yeah. Bigger, bigger. And wow. well, they, they stood against each other. Look at that. Yeah, they're, they're, there they are right there. And I go to I go to um, shoot him off. He reverses me, and he goes to clothesline me, and I hooked him, and I'm, I'm his arms are like this. I'm, my legs are over here. My arms are here. And then I slide down, and now I'm laying on my back. And I'm trying. It's called a sunset flip. I'm trying to pull him over, and it's a giant's body. Whoa, whoa. And then he reaches down and he grabs me by the throat, right? And he's going to pick me up. Now, I'm on my back. I'm going to give him a boost. I'm going to push and slide so it makes it easier. My foot slipped. And now I'm (laughs) deadweighting him. And he picks me up like I'm five. (laughs) I'm 255 pounds. This is the big show you're talking about. Yes. Picks me up like I'm five. Right. So type in big show DDP. Holy crap. He picks you up like you're five. <laughs> like I was five years yeah. old. And I would look him down. Everybody went, whoa. Because you could really see like it was a shoot. And he's got me by the throat here. I'm looking down at him. I go, okay, now don't kill me. <laughs> and he just spit me and dropped me on my back. But, uh, you know, it, it was uh, just a mo- like moments like that really stick out in my wow. in type. Like, oh, okay. That let, was- me, let me ask you. To Pat's question. This is a real question now. Sure. He asked, like, you know, competitive nature, who doesn't want to lose. If you actually had to pick a tag team partner in a real-life fight, like, right. oh, shit is going down, you know? And I want You're this in a guy my, yeah. I got one guy that's on my side, yeah. and a real fight is happening. Who's your first pick? His name would be Ming. Also went by Tonga, which is his real name. Samoan dude, friggin' sweetest guy on the planet. But who you would, you would not want to be on a bad side. Really, now. pull him up, Tyler. Yeah. This guy yeah. was a like, certified oh, badass so it's, it's mofo. Pay, yeah, yeah, put up, uh, put up, M I N G. There is right there. It looks like he looks. He's got the Hawaiian shirt on. There with the king, the king thing now. Why is he your first pick? Because he was just notorious for, you know, friggin' everyone. You know, like. Baddest guy alive. Really? Yes. It was known. Yes, everyone. Like throughout WWE, WCW, everyone. everyone knew. Everyone. What was it about him that just he can kick anyone's um, ass? There, I think there was. I, I, don't, I don't remember the exact thing. I wasn't there, but it was like he beat up five guys. You know, <laughs> like in a bar fight because they would like. So, why would you pick on that guy yeah. or challenge that guy? <laughs> like, uh, and you're I you're looking uh, for trouble. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know the exact story, but I mean, what, what are the greatest, sweetest guys you've ever met, though? How do you, you know? balance 
being like you're saying the greatest, sweetest guy ever with also being able to beat the shit out of five guys at once. How does that yin-yang balance work? Because he was a great human being, and, you know, he was also a badass. <laughs> you, know, you can be both. Yeah. You, you, like, I, you could be a manly Chuck, man and also do DDPY yoga. Absolutely. And friggin' Chuck Zito. You know, Chuck Zito's one of the baddest son of bitches on the planet, but mm. he is a friggin' sweetheart, man. You know, guy who was president of the Hell's Angels, New York chapter, for 25 years. Sweetheart guy, man. That's great. What a but, I, I, I ask there. this question because you know in the NFL, you had uh, uh, Marvin Harrison, that who you know legendary player, wide receiver. Yeah, yeah, of course. But do you know like the r- reputation Marvin? He was feared by everybody. Marvin had uh, you know links to gangs and you know really? murder. You know some some real stories. Ray Carruth, everybody sees and knows. Like oh, he, he went, went to jail. Pac Man Jones, yeah. you know some of those stories. But Marvin was like, you, you just don't cross the line with Marvin Harrison. He had that. that about you didn't know that? No. You should look it up. Marvin Harrison is known as a guy that was feared, respected. You didn't cross that guy. That's why you, sometimes you wonder the background of these guys. By the way, yeah. different style. Eric Bishop, you, you, you talk about Eric, who, you know, he's doing what he's doing. And you said if he would have continued, you know, at one point you guys are competing. Those guys are about to lose, bankruptcy, all this stuff. What is the biggest difference between Eric and the way Vince led? And marketed and told story. What was the difference? Well, I think more than anything, and, and this was what was great, when Bischoff was running WCW, even when we were doing great, it was constant conflict with the office. Meaning, like, to Turner people, who were you know, owned by Ted Turner, not Ted, but their people looked down at wrestling. And when Vince was fighting for his life, his whole company is a wrestling Superstars, you know, he took away the word wrestling, whatever. You know, uh, sports entertainers. It's his company. It's his lifeline. It's his legacy. It's everything. And Eric didn't have that. If he could have been doing it on his own, who knows what would have happened. But, you know, you know, when you work in the corporate world, you know, you know you've been Got all it. through that. And it's so hard. And then there's the jealousy thing and, you know, all of that. When it's your company... And it's your brand, Vince. and yes, yeah. like, and Vince is the really the one with Hulk that changed the whole format. You By know? the way, you, you know who who gets a lot of credit for that story you just told, Dana White, because Dana sure. is only a ten percent owner of the company, and Dana was able to work, you know, mm. politics, WME, two owners came, they bought it for two million, he got ten percent. And he was still able to move it up, even though it's not his company. He's only a 10% guy of the company. It's not like he's 51%. There's a difference between sure. Dana and Vince, but Dana still was able to pull off the product. Which product, to, to the audience that doesn't, I'm going to show something here on the internet I want these guys to see on YouTube, but which one do you, do you think UFC today's surpassed the audience and the eyeballs that wrestling gets, or do you think wrestling is still ahead of UFC? I think that UFC would be bigger at this point because I think it's very cyclical wrestling. It's, it's up and it's down. And it's really like it's harder now to really understand how many people are watching. Mm. And to give you an example, um, and this was genius. So everybody thought it was like, oh, God, what a waste of time. WWE Network. You know, oh, they're, they're, out, they're losing money. They're this, they're that, and everything. Well, I guess it was two years ago, Vince leased... Not sold, but leased the network to Peacock for $1 billion for five years. Lease. Leased. 
They don't own shit. <laughs> they are using, because they, what is the most Damn. important thing on any, whether it's Paramount, content. Peacock, content? A thousand percent. Well, now we've got a ton of different shows. It looked like when Vince was going to, you know, WWF was going to get traded to WWE. Oh, my God, they're, 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 they've ruined his brand. And they spent all these years, you know, and Vince fought for it. didn't get it. Best thing ever happened to him. Hmm. And this, I'll, I'll use an example of this in a second. But so many times, what looks like the worst thing to ever happen to you can be the best. And what, when I blew, when I, when I tore my rotator cuff and they let me go when I was 36, Jake came and lived with me for three months and then got me booked wherever we went to. He became my mentor on the, how I told stories. And it took years to really become a really good storyteller. But if I don't tear my rotator cuff and get fired, that never happens mm. when I blow my back out. And they tell me my wrestling career's over. And I've just signed this multi-million dollar contract. It's going to go bye-bye. And I come back. Great that I get back and live the dream. But what looks like the worst thing ever happened to me is not only the best thing ever happened to me. It's the best thing to happen to Jake, to Scott, to people who are in the change or die. I've got hundreds of thousands of transformations. When I tell people, don't listen to a word I say about DDP yoga. Don't listen to a word. Community. One of my buddies, Chris Gabriano, started this just page on Facebook. Just a regular page. Mm -hmm. DDP yoga, one word. And it was a thousand people. And then there was five. And now there's over 70,000 people you have to read that page. You will never believe what people put up there. You see, remember when, and we both do this, we call people. Mm -hmm. We show people we really actually give a shit about what we're doing. That's very, very, very rare. So in this scenario, anyone who came to this one site I had originally called Team DDP Yoga, I would welcome them. Every single person, me. And then it built into this thing on Facebook, which they saw the way I would come through and talk to people. And I do the likes and I put comments. It's me. It's not somebody imitating me. And I'll get on there for like two hours and just do that. So much so, my app, my DDP Yoga Now app, which I always tell people, don't go to iTunes or Google Play. They charge too much. I don't charge anywhere near as much if you go to ddpyoga.com and I give you seven days free to try it. The bottom line is every Monday's Motivational Monday. Every Tuesday, there's a new workout. By the way, there's over 300 of both of those. Uh, every Wednesday's a new cooking show. Gluten-free, dairy-free, healthy, great tasting food because I don't care how you know healthy something is. If it don't taste great, I'm not mm. eating it. Not eating it. Yeah. And how I feel is what, when I'm feeding my body is how my body is healing itself. Your food will heal you and food will fuck you. Fake food. Like you'd never get me to eat fast fake food ever. Now I know what's in it. I'm not eating that shit. But again, healing your body. So back to the fabulous, uh, the fabulous Fridays, I just go on that Facebook page. 
70,000 people, you know, stuff just keeps rolling through. So I go on there and I just start picking stories because I want to read someone's story and what they wrote and the pictures they put up of themselves. Because I've got those six pictures, front, side, fold forward, and one of them's putting the foot up in the air. Can't fake that shit. So when you see a person who can't pick their foot off the ground, a foot, and then six months that's later, sick. it's holding over that's his head. Sick. That's core strength, a different level. But the stuff that they write, can you pull up uh, on Facebook? Pull it up there. And let's let's see if what people, DDP Yoga, one word on Facebook. Yeah, one word, Facebook. And let's just see just some of the, okay, just, just, just zoom down. Is that it? Uh, I think that's a DDP Yoga one. I'm talking about the members one. Just go up there and just put in the search DDP Yoga one word. And you're saying one word because they get the opportunity to describe DDP Yoga in one word? I wrote wrote it. I I originally would write it. You know, um, just pull up. Can you pull up Facebook? Tyler, you're about to get get a diamond cut right now, buddy. By the way, we do have a few callers that people want to talk to you. So we want to take some callers. Sure. But most of my point is you wouldn't believe the shit, the pictures people put up there. What what link would you want guys to go if they want to find out more about it? Do you want to go to the website? Yeah, go to the website. That's what I'm talking about. this guy. Do you believe that? But look at it right next to him wearing his 1,000 hours on the app shirt. Look at that. Look how much better he looks when he's wearing the shirt over the unbelievable. But the women put up those pictures. Look at this. Drew was determined Dude, to change his life. In 16 months, he went from 390 to 210. Insane. Now he's owning his life by sharing his story Insane. with others. And Talk about a motivational Monday, brother. And, and, that, <laughs> and, and that's, that's on my company one. You gotta, the one I'm talking about is yeah. the one members go. Awesome. And they help each other. There's never been a community like it. And that's the biggest thing I'm the proudest of. By the way, so did you know cool, Victor man. Rivera? Victor Rivera, yeah. yeah. I, I, so I know the name Victor Rivera. Okay, somebody asked him a question. Do you know Victor Rivera? I don't know what that question means. Is he a wrestler? Is he... No, I, I, know, I know a guy. He's, okay. Uh, not, he's not a wrestler. Okay. Let's bring Victor Rivera uh, in right now. Lu- to Luis Maciel just asked a question in Dallas. They say competition breeds uh, innovation. Do you think Vince will ever have competition like the Monday Night Wars again? I can't imagine it. You know, just because the, you know, the the AEW, which is the new wrestling program out there, is really good, and the product's really good. Um, but it's like, the WWE is... Oh, I was down there at WrestleMania. They did two nights in a row of WrestleMania with over 78,000 people one night and 84,000 the other night. Two nights of That's it. That's crazy. I have a quick question about these people, right? Because it's been forever since I've been to a wrestling match. But you talked about being in L.A. and then going to Kansas City and then coming down to Fort Myers. I mean, just like, sure. what's the crowd like at these wrestling events? What type oh, of people? Amazing. What type of energy? What are they, like, maybe a, I'm not saying politically, but like philosophically, what do they stand for? Tell us about the crowd at these events. The people who love wrestling love wrestling. You know, and... They appreciate it. They know it's a show, and they care about the characters, and they're ravenous, man. Like you know, I've, you can't imagine, like unless you're really at a live event, you've never seen wrestling. Hmm. You know, because when you see how they're, they're part of the show, you know, it's like people like oh god, they're booing him or they're cheering him. It's really you want them to do either. 
You don't want them to do nothing. nothing. Yeah. <laughs> That's you right. Know? Powerful. You don't want them to do nothing. By the way, so uh, <clears throat> do we have callers? Yes, we, we, have, have we have Julian on the phone. Julian, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Fantastic. So what question do you have for DDP? My question is, did you get paid off of your likeness being used in the Nintendo games that you're a part of? And uh, were you involved in any of the um, any of the uh, production in the games? Um, yeah, I always got paid. You know, we got some kind of vague. The company gets the major part of the vague. And we, you know, we get a little piece, but it's still, hey, it's, you know, it's, I call it mailbox money, you know, um, uh, I've always had anything to do with my character. I want to be there and go through the moves. And they like like today they can put these things all over you. I mean, I just did one the other day um, where you know you're wearing this suit and the way you walk. And I've got a pretty distinct swag walk that friggin' uh, it, you can tell like that character's that person or, you know, how they do their gestures and stuff. So that's pretty interesting. The way they do it today, it's like these these video games look like the real people. Shit, it, looks, it doesn't even yep. look like a video game. It feels like you're watching a show. Right. It's like you stepped into it. So uh, Nelson here says, uh, uh, love you, DDP. You're my childhood hero. Oh, Can you talk about your experience filming the Guardians of Justice? Loved your Batman-esque character. <laughs> Batman-esque character. That, that's a new show that just came out. Uh, it's an Adi Shankar experience. Uh, a buddy of mine who uh, is a very talented cat, and he's always way far ahead of the cutting edge. He put together... Uh, we were shooting this originally for YouTube. It was just going to be a bunch of shorts, and then we had some pretty good stuff there. So we thought, well, let's turn it into a movie because he's been a part of doing Walk Among the Tombstones and The Grey and Judge Dredd. So he's a real producer and it was too long by the time we got there. And in the meantime, he was doing something different with a show called Castlevania on Netflix. And they were like, what else do you have? And he brought up Guardians of Justice. And then they started editing all the CGI. And there's... Eight different types of 2D animation, 3D animation, and claymation worked into this story that's a series, you know, seven episodes, dark satire. And I, you know, Batman never gets older than 40, right? <laughs> Batman never gets older than 40. Uh, but Nighthawk, he's in his 60s, and he drinks and he smokes and he takes painkillers because he needs them. And he kills for the greater good, you know, and he and he knows how to save the world. Uh, and uh, it's it was a lot of fun to do. And now I'm a legitimate superhero. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty sick. Okay, so John, uh, uh, let's take one more caller. We have Sammy on the line. Sammy, how you doing? Hello. Sammy, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Fantastic. So what's your question for DDP? Yes, uh, my question is, um, I'm not re receiving the value that I'm paying for at university. Uh, I'm going to drop out. I'm worried that I'm making a terrible mistake. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on that? What do you think about that? This kid's going to college. He's thinking he's wasting his time. Should he drop out or continue going to school? You know, I don't, you know, to me... I think every person who gets out of high school, first of all, I love what Israel does where they make them go right into the army mm -hmm. for a year. Um, you know, it's a great way to learn and grow. And, and a lot of people, like my daughter took off three years 
before she started college, she didn't like it. She quit. Mm-hmm. And then she came back, and then she knew what she really wanted to do. I don't think so. It depends on how old you are, Sammy. You know, it, it depends on what you really believe and what your passion is. One thing I can tell you, and all three of us get this, whatever it is you're going to try to do, it should be something you love to do. Because the key is to find something that you love to do and figure out a way to get someone to pay you to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's really what, it's not the American dream, it's the dream world dream. And a lot of people are just going to school just, you know, and getting, compiling all that debt. You know, like I made my daughter, when it came down to it, like fill out all your loan papers. No, because I'm not going to do that for you. I want you to do it. I'm not going to saddle you with debt. You're going to. You know, and then and she dropped out and then she came back and now she's an editor, you know, and she she's doing what she loves to do. So then you never feel like you're working. Right. Good for. But but, but by the way, the story with you and Jay-Z, what happened with the diamond (laughs) stuff with you and Jay? I've read about I'm like, this can't be real. But apparently it's a real story. It was real. And all I'm allowed to say, and you'll appreciate this, is the um, God, how would I say it now? It's been so long since I said anything about it. The matter's been resolved. <laughs> and I tell you what, I got a lot of respect for Jay-Z. Uh, just for what he's done, mm-hmm. you know, to help a lot of people, too. You know, so uh, got a lot of respect for Is him. there Another a difference that, between a what he right does there. and what you do? Look at this. Yeah. Tyler put this up there. Remember when Jay-Z paid royalties to Diamond Dallas <laughs> for hand gestures? Now, I can read this. You, you right. know, but Diamond Dallas paid. It's pretty epic. because. But it's not the same thing. I yeah, mean, well, my hands yeah. were open. It was close. But it was, yeah. uh, it was all the same thing. And, you know. It, you own the diamond, baby. Yeah, you know, it's like he can do whatever he wants with it. <laughs> <laughs> who was the guy that won? That, who was the guy that bought the trademark to three-peat? Was it Pat Riley? Yes. Because he won it, and then somebody used it, and he sued them. He says, no, that's mine. Do you know this? I think yeah. Pat Riley owns. He owns three-peat. He he owns three yeah, people, right? Are you guys are you guys watching Winning Winning Time on HBO Max? Oh, you, you the Magic Johnson Pat Riley yeah, story? No, I'm not watching that. We we watch Man in the Arena and Last Time. So I, have, that's is it great that good? Too. Is it good? This is this is so good to me. Uh, that guy John C. Riley is playing Jerry Buss. Yep. The kid who's playing Magic, you're gonna think it's Magic. Like it's Tyler? he's so good and he and I gotta watch it. I haven't seen. There's it. a part where Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is talking to Magic's dad, and you know Magic say, oh, "Happy with everybody," and he's and you know Kareem, you know they stoic, yeah, serious. pretty stoic. He goes, "So has he always been this happy?" And he goes, "Yeah." He goes, "So where where are you from?" And he and his dad says, "Like I'm from Mississippi, so I've seen it all." You know, from the hanging corpses, yep, the whole yep, deal. Yep. And he and, and Cream goes, he goes, yeah, you have. Magic and Johnson. and then the, the you know the magic guy Showtime. is just he's just and the guys can ball. I mean, these guys can go. It's a really fun. Uh, How many show? episodes is it? How many? Is- I want to say there's probably six in right now. And oh, it's six in, and it's yeah. all about magic. It's no, oh, it's about magic coming. Jerry Buss, you know, buying the company and how he oh, did I it. I want to know that. If it's oh, Jerry dude. Buss, I'm interested. Oh, dude, you're gonna you're gonna love it because it's, just, it's it's a lot like what Vince McMahon did. Vince McMahon leveraged everything to get the company and was making all these promises because that's what he saw, and vision. then it happened. You know, visions everything. Like from when when Steve, 
the movie, uh, the documentary that we have also up right now, it's called Relentless. And it goes from me blowing my back out to where we are today in Stone Cold Steve Austin. Like he lived with me in L.A. when I was putting this whole thing together. And he's like, kid, what are you thinking? You're never going to get people to do yoga who wouldn't be caught dead doing yoga. It's not that I don't believe in you, kid, because, you know, you're a miracle worker, you know. But you know, the He's calling you kid? Yeah, we call each other kid, you know. <laughs> but he, he uh, you know, he didn't get it. And the bottom line is I saw it. And I would tell people all the time, when I when I inducted That's Jake in Hall of Fame, I said, never underestimate the power you give someone by believing in them. More importantly, never underestimate the power you give yourself by believing in you. And that's what it takes. And the guy kid who called earlier, you need to believe in what you're doing. Sammy. And what your and what your focus is. Sammy, listen so cool. up, man. What a, what an advice. So daughter goes to college. I want you to sign the paperwork. <laughs> Not me. And then she drops out, and then she goes and becomes an editor. Well, yeah, she, now she got, a, she got a degree, and she got a job. And but she's, on her own, she chose to do She that. did it all herself. Fantastic. Well, uh, DDP, first of all, this has been a blast having you on. and really enjoyed it. Uh, I'm so glad we did this. The stories, the motivation. It's like a combination of a bunch of different things. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm looking at you as a personality. You could have made one a hell of a sales leader, manager, uh, agent for many stars, the the way you motivational lead and drive. Yeah, seriously, sure. I mean, he is a motivational speaker. Yes. But the point is, this could have gone many different angles. This was a Thank blast you, having man. you on. And by the way, gang, in an hour, we're gonna flip the set around. DDP and his new wife, Paige, is gonna come on my show, the Sauzcast, and it's gonna be like the late night show, like the, like the <laughs> after party. Different. And by the way, after party. And right? Adam's very, very prepared for this interview, so don't miss yes, that one. True that. We'll see you guys there. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye, bye-bye, bye-bye. See ya.